The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the fourth chapter. Now, when Jesus had heard John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The disciples had carved out pretty good lives for themselves before they met Jesus. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew were casting nets into the sea because they were fishermen. James and his brother John were sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending nets because they too were fishermen. Fishing was the family business. The smell of fish was permanently on their hands, and the smell of sea was a part of every breath they knew and had ever taken. This was the life that they knew, and they'd lived it day after day, year after year. But on one particular ordinary day, Jesus walked by and said, Follow me. And we're told that they immediately left their nets and followed him. And anyone who reads this has to wonder, where are they going? How will they pay their bills? What about their jobs, their families? What about old man Zebedee who's still in the boat? What's the plan? It's clear that they don't know the answers to any of these responsible questions. Their only plan is to follow this man who called them. Who of us could do this? We work so hard to get the lives we have. Granted, they may not be great, but they are our lives. Would we or even could we drop everything to follow Jesus? What does Jesus say that makes these men drop their lives to follow him? He doesn't tell them that he needs them to become the rock of the church or that he has a job for them with eternal benefits. No, the importance of the calling is found not in the job or in the benefits, but in the caller. All that Jesus said is, follow me. 
And there's something so compelling about him that these men immediately drop everything to follow. Now, this is not the conversion of penitent sinners. That comes later. And it's not the conversion of seekers who have been on a theological journey. That comes much later. At this point, they know little about Jesus. We can't even say that they have faith yet. We certainly can't say that they understand where this journey will take them. All we can say, all they can say, is that when Jesus called, they had to follow him. The decision to start following Jesus is not rational or irrational. It's irrational. Rationality has little to do with it. In this way, it's exactly like the other really important decisions of life. We may not want to admit it, but all of the life-altering commitments we've made have been in response to something inside of us that jumps up to say, I have to do this. When a couple comes to see me for premarital counseling, I'm always struck by the difficulty they have in describing why they're in love. With perfect rationality, they can explain why they've chosen the jobs that they have. They can tell me why they're a Democrat or a Republican, why they like Subarus better than Jeeps, why they prefer checks to Cheerios. But when it comes to explaining why they're about to make the greatest commitment of their lives in marriage, they get all doe-eyed and sentimental. And finally, they say something like, I just know I have to do this. Right? It's exactly right. And then why do they later decide to have children? It's certainly not to save money or to sleep better at night. (laughs) People choose to raise a child for the same reason they decide to get married. It's the same reason someone rises to take a stand on a justice issue. It's the same reason a person starts to follow Jesus. They're called to do it. And so let's be clear that the decision to follow Christ begins not with our choice, but with Christ who calls us. These fishermen have not weighed the pros and cons of following and decided to go with Jesus because he has a wonderful plan for their lives. Jesus is the one making the decision. And that decision is to call them to himself. Now this call has not come out of the blue. Jesus has made his home in Capernaum where these fishermen lived. And it's there that he began his ministry proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And surely these men had heard this message. Matthew uses the exact same phrase to depict the message of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then on the day that John baptized Jesus, the heavens opened and a voice was heard saying, This is my son, the beloved. It was as if to say that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So it was time to repent. Now, repent has become such a heavy word laden with tones of judgment. But before biblical words developed religious tones, they were just ordinary words. And the word in Greek is metanoia. And all it really means is to turn. If you were leaving your house and remembered you'd forgotten your keys, you would repent, turn around, and go back and get them. 
And what both John and Jesus are calling people to do is to turn to heaven that has come near with the arrival of God's Son. This is at the core of Jesus' invitation to all of us. Isn't it time to make a turn, he asks? Like these fishermen, Jesus may be calling you to turn from the life you've built for yourself. As respectable as they may seem, any life we've built for ourselves keeps us from the one God gives. The life we build for ourselves is constructed on a foundation of fear because we know it's only a matter of time before we lose everything. To these self-constructed lives, Jesus says the greatest danger is not that you won't get what you want in life or keep it for a little while, but that you'll settle for it. It isn't that we dream too big, but we do not dream big enough. Only Jesus can lead us into his own dreams for our lives, so drop your nets and follow. Others in biblical texts, though, were not called to leave their workplaces and homes. Some who wanted to do that, like the demoniac, were told by Jesus to turn back to their villages to proclaim the grace that they'd received. Some who were healed, like the paralytic man, were told by Jesus to stand up, turn back, and walk home. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which follows our text today, no one was called to leave. Everyone was called to live by the radical ethics of Jesus. But no one can do that without first turning toward the kingdom of heaven that has come near in him. So the point is not to turn from home or to turn back to it. The point is to turn to Jesus. He's heaven coming near to you. He's who your soul has been yearning to find with every turn your life has taken, the good turns and the bad turns you regret. Behind them all is the soul's search for its home with God. Can you hear the good news? In Jesus Christ, God has turned to call you. Maybe you would claim that you have never heard a call from Jesus, but I wonder if that's true. Because most every day we face the opportunity to turn one way or the other in our lives. You have to make a choice at work or at home or at school, or maybe you have to make a choice between work or home. It may involve what appears to be simply a business decision or a decision about which way to turn in a relationship. Perhaps it's a choice about how you'll use your time or money. And maybe a choice about how you'll respond to an interruption to the choices that you've already made. But if you pay attention and pray your way through these choices of which, you t of which way to turn, you'll find the call of Jesus. He will not always tell you which choice to make. Sometimes he does, either through scripture or through spirit-filled wisdom of others around you. But I'm always struck by how many times we have to make a choice with no guidance from Jesus. That's because he's simply calling you to himself through any choice you make. And once you accept that, all of the other choices become easier. You can either drop your nets or pick them up again. Because they're no longer your salvation. For that, you've turned to Jesus. Let us pray. O oh God, give us the courage of your Holy Spirit to turn away from our sin, our despair, our resolve, 
that we may turn back to the grace and hope of heaven that has come near. Amen.